Happy Wednesday, Secret Squad. This week's episode is going to be bright, happy, and fun because I think we could all use a little of that these days, right? I am dialed in with the renowned potter, designer, author, and lover of all things fun, Jonathan Adler. Jonathan is known for his modern American glamour style, designing interior items that bring joy into your home. Jonathan believes that your home should make you happy, that no colors ever clash, and that minimalism is a bummer. He lives by the three L's, layer, layer, and layer. With so many highly creative and unique designs, he is a no-brainer to discuss the secret to finding your creative inspiration. I am so excited to have you here, Jonathan. Let me just tell you that I have so many of your items, both in my home and in my office. I just love them. Oh, please keep it going. It's like <laughs> I always could use an ego boost. But um, most importantly, I want to thank you for buying my stuff. When people like you actually spend their hard-earned money on my stuff, it's truly um, a gift to me because it allows me to continue doing what I love to do. It's like, it's really a selfish pursuit. You know, I, I make the things that I want to make and I feel very, very lucky to have created a world and a business in which I can just be creative. And it's all thanks to people like you who actually buy my stuff. So thank you. Oh, well, you know what? I completely believe you. I completely understand that that sentiment comes from your heart. It's a reflection in everything that you create. Like I said, just a few moments ago, I am just a true lover of design. And so when I see your things, I can see the love behind everything that you do. And I can see that when you create something for the world to enjoy and uh, to purchase for their own home, I can see that that is your mission to create something that when they take it home and they put it in their home, it's going to, it's going to create a joy for them when they see it. It's going to create happiness and it's going to create a beautiful experience for them in their home, a, a beautiful surrounding for them. And when I say beautiful, I mean, I didn't mean that. I mean beautiful, but I also mean fun and creative and just just an experience in their home they're going to live with every day. So that is a true reflection in what you what you have created and offered to the entire world. And I mean oh, that from I, my I heart. I really hope so. <laughs> I really hope so because, you know, um, design and creativity is a very strange thing. It's, it's hard to really understand where the impulse comes from or where the ideas come from. I'm not a terribly spiritual person, but sometimes I feel like I'm sort of just channeling ideas that exist in the universe and they kind of come through me. And um, for, you know, if people respond to them and feel like they're communicating to them, that is a meaningful thing because, um, you know, ideas in my world and in my design practice, I try to infuse sort of my personality, some ideally some intellect, um, a little bit of wit and a little bit of heart into everything I make. So, you know, if if my products, my pots, my furniture, my lighting, whatever I make, if it communicates that, then I feel like I have won. Oh, I love that. Again, uh, at the risk of repeating myself, and I may do that many times in this podcast, that is a true reflection. It, I mean, what you just said is a reflection in what we see when we're looking at your uh, many different areas of design. Uh, before we even get started, and I ask, start asking you a lot of questions about you and, 
in your career. I have to show you because the listeners cannot see all of this, but we can see each other virtually right now. And I'm holding up my my prized possession that I got just yesterday in the mail. Can you see my catalog? My Jonathan I can Ad- see it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love the catalog that comes in the mail. So, uh, so for all the listeners out there, you can go online and find Jonathan Adler, and you will be able to sign up, I'm sure, to get his catalog sent to your home. And I went in the house yesterday, and there it was in my mail. So I'm really excited. And Good, good, good. Well, I encourage you and all of your listeners to get tangled in my web at jonathanadler.com. And um, yeah, go on and like shop. Yes. Yes. Just give me your credit card number. I'll send you one of everything. (laughs) Well, I don't mind giving that to you. Let's uh, (laughs) hope my husband's not listening right now. (laughs) But yes, when we finish this, I will give it to you and just go to town with it. (laughs) Okay, good. All right. Great. (laughs) Okay. So let me ask you something. You began your career as a potter. How and when did you discover your passion for that? Yeah, I have a very strange, uh, origin story. I started making pottery at summer camp when I was 12. And for some strange reason, it just was kismet. It immediately knew when I first touched clay that it like vibrated with me. It just meant something. And oddly, a lifelong passion was born. And, uh, you know, because I'm sort of a, you know, like I grew up in a nice upper middle class family and um, I was ambitious and, you know, went to a fancy college. So it never crossed my mind that I could actually make a career of pottery. I always assumed it would just be a hobby and that was going to be that, even though in my heart I would have loved to have made a career of it. And then I turned out to be terrible at being an adult. So after <laughs> college, I just kept getting fired from job after job. And I was like a true failure. I failed at everything I ever wanted to do. And so I found myself unemployed and unemployable at 27. And I started teaching night classes at a pottery studio in exchange for studio space. And I just thought it was like a, I thought I was going to be doing that for a minute. And then I would somehow or other find some middle management job and just become a cog in a machine until I just cogged off. And that was that. Uh, but luckily I couldn't find a job and I kept making pots and my very, very kind, uh, benevolent parents finally said to me, you're 27. You went to an Ivy league college. We've been basically supporting you for coming up on three decades now. And you either have to sell a pot or get a job, but like enough. And so I, thought, wow, tough love, dudes. But I called up a buyer at Barney's who I happened to know through a connection and they placed an order and then an improbable and accidental uh, and very circuitous career was born. Oh my heaven. So you made every pot in that order that you played, that they placed with you. Were you the one that made every piece? Oh, I was the one that made, I made every piece. I glazed every piece. I packed every piece. I did everything. I don't know if you, you're, you're probably not old enough to remember the time to make the donuts ad from Dunkin' Donuts, but 
that was my life. For about five years of my life, it was time to make the donuts. I would oh. be in the studio at 6 a.m. and leave at 11 p.m. and rinse and repeat. Oh my so So I, I sort of went from being this unemployed and unemployable potter, aspirant, failed adult to somebody who had a little cottage industry and who sort of had a an opportunity to turn his passion into a career. And I recognized that I was a lucky dude and that I kind of had this one chance and that if I didn't throw myself into it completely, that I would regret not doing so. Oh my so, gosh. you know, I, I don't know. I believe that a lot of success comes down to luck, but I also think that it's good to be able to recognize when an opportunity uh, comes your way via luck and try to do everything in your power to maximize the opportunity. And that's what I did. Especially if you're passionate about it. I think the, the it's obvious that you were very passionate about that true love of pottery that I'm sure that helped a, a lot with it. And I just have to tell you, I'm 66 years old. So yes, I do remember all of that at that time. So I want the name of your team of nutritionists, <laughs> makeup people, your entire squad. Please. Um, well, DM can I just you tell you the name people. is Robin McGraw. I have always done my own hair, my own makeup, my own wardrobe because I'm truly into design. So I love clothing. I love everything about it. And I love decorating just like with my home. I think that's why I'm just like so obsessed with you right now and, and so excited <laughs> about talking to you. Can I just ask you one thing? Because if you ask my husband, he'll agree. Yes, she's very nosy when she wants to know about something she's truly passionate about. Can you tell us, what was that very first order? How many pots did you have to make to fill that first order? Oh, my God. Do you remember? It was like, yeah, it was probably around 40 pots. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Made, I know. Thank you. And, you know, I made them all, and I painted them all, and I packed them all. And I, I remember I actually took the order in a box to the uh, loading dock and gave it to them by hand because I was too dumb to even understand what shipping was. And in retrospect, thank God for that, because I'm sure they all would have smashed had they gone through the True. UPS system. True. Anyway, I made the pots, delivered them, and then I didn't get paid for months. And my dad, who was still sort of funding me, said, uh, did you ever get paid? And I was like, no, Barney's is busy. Then I finally called them up and I said, hey, I'm that guy who makes those stripy pots. And they're like, oh, you're the guy who didn't send an invoice. And I oh. said, what is an invoice? <laughs> um, and that's really a reflection of just how dumb I was and how non-business oriented I was. And over the ensuing years, I have learned a lot that's, and done a lot. That was my next question. How did you manage to grow your business while making everything yourself at the same time? Well, I kind of did it just in baby steps. You know, I did it very, very slowly. And unlike most kids today, uh, as the saying goes, I didn't really have any plan at all. I never started doing what I was doing because I saw like a white space in the market or because, you know, I had a business plan, quite the opposite. I just bumbled along like, you know, Beavis and Butthead mm -hmm. make a business. It was mm -hmm. kind of like the real story of my world. So I just sort of did it. I just kept making pots and then 
another opportunity would present itself and I would just kind of take it. And it was a very, very gradual process. And in as much as if, if young people ever ask me for advice, I always say to them, don't get out of your skis. Don't borrow money from your parents. Uh, don't think you're going to have some huge empire. Just take it one step at a time, slowly, and most importantly, authentically. Like, be authentic in whatever you're trying to pursue. And if the stars align, you might be able to make a living at it. But authenticity is, is the baseline for entering into any creative endeavor, in my opinion. And did you network to learn the process of becoming an entrepreneur and uh, someone who has now created their own brand. Did you back then network and learn that way as well? I think you're severely overestimating my <laughs> intellect and competence and ability to do anything in a grown-up and human fashion. <laughs> no, I didn't network. Uh, quite the opposite. I was very, very insular and remain improbably insular to this day, uh, which I think is really good. Because, um, yeah, it, it, I think that in some sense for me as a designer, I like to be very in my own world and have like sort of a very strong tunnel vision. Uh, as it relates to networking, I suppose that's a good idea. I just didn't really have the I don't know. I didn't really have the Rolodex. Well, I, so when I, I just, say networking, I mean that in a way like, did you reach out to others in your position to ask, okay, I just learned I should have sent out invoices. Is there something else I should be knowing right now or should be learning right now? The way I did it, which I, I feel like I'm going to be uh, throwing shade at some <laughs> people who I really like and former uh -huh. colleagues, but I'll tell you the true story. Okay. I was when I first got that order, I was working in a, I had a space in a shared pottery co-op in Soho. It was the mid nineties. And I think my rent was like $200 uh -huh. a month to be a part of this huge Soho loft. Uh -huh. uh, so I had this space and the, the five other potters who shared the space were, with me were all in some sense, cautionary tales of what not to do. Oh, uh -huh. And I hope to God none of them is listening to this podcast. <laughs> um, because they were all people who probably like me had started off with a specific style and gotten an order and built a very small cottage industry and then didn't really change what they were doing and their business kind of went up and then slowly went down. And so I think my networking really was more about observing cautionary tales of how not to have a creative business. And I realized from seeing them, all of whom were very lovely and explained to me how to get an invoice and help me with packing shipping. And they all had happy lives. Like they were, you know, no, it wasn't anything tragic. However, I saw that in some sense, they were a cautionary tale because they were all people who weren't evolving aesthetically and constantly changing and being nimble. And so I thought to myself, all right, staying static is a one-way ticket to a long, slow decline. And I resolved at that moment to always be very, very nimble and to always change and to always be evolving and to sort of be looking forward and never looking back and 
making yeah. new, 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 new. That's kind of become the, like my creative drive is I'm just like, all right, what's next? How can I make something new, new, new? Oh, I love so that. So that was my version of networking was observing what not to do. Great advice. I love that. That's great advice. And I can actually relate to that in some way because throughout my entire life and my family will tell you this, I love change. That's, it's, that's kind of a good way to describe me and my personality. I love change. So it's like my husband will joke about how I'll come in one day and think I've entered the wrong home because just in one day, I'll just completely rearrange, not necessarily repurchase or redecorate with all new, but I love changing the room around, you know, moving things around. Or if I was in your position, starting out with a, a business, I would be watching those who maybe, okay, I'm not only going to watch those who succeed, I'm going to watch those who fail. And then yes. I would, well, I would first also, of all, yeah. poor husbands, um, <laughs> poor, poor husbands who are constantly like, you know, like stubbing their toes and yes. um, cracking their shins against yep. uh, sofas and coffee tables that have been moved. Yep. I have one of those myself, <laughs> a long suffering husband who comes home to a new furniture arrangement on the daily. And he's sort of, he's supportive, but also just like, you know, yep. what's he going to do? Yeah, he it's, gets it. It's yeah, his, like, he gets it's it. his he burden knows you. in life. That's why he loves you. <laughs> I think that's, yeah, maybe. He's yeah. listening right now. So um, I'm going to put a very uh, rose-colored <laughs> tint on the whole situation. But yeah. no, I'm I'm lucky actually to have an extraordinarily supportive and brilliant husband, as I'm sure you are. Yes. Um, and my husband, who is sort of a fashion luminary and who has uh, provided me advice along the way as I start my, as I built my business, um, before I explain this, you should also know that Simon Doonan, my husband, who is on the NBC TV show Making It, he's oh. an expert judge, and he has a new book coming out called How to Be Yourself from Fiden. He's like a very prolific author, uh, television personality, fashion commentator, and annoyingly perfect spouse. Oh, congratulations. Which is very annoying. <laughs> yeah, it's annoying, whatever. I, know. I, I totally um, understand. But, <laughs> The one good thing is he's, and aside from being perfect in almost every way, the one thing that's imperfect is he's not the tallest person on earth. Um, and he's, you know, like a, um, an Englishman. So he always says to me, um, as I was building my business, he would always say to me, uh, you know, don't think there's going to be some quick solution. There's no such thing as a tall, dark stranger. And I would always say, no, but there is a short, pale familiar. And... <laughs> You know, he's my short, pale familiar who always reminds me to never think there's going to be an easy solution. You just kind of got to grind it out. Oh, I love hearing about him. How long have you been yeah. together? We have been together 25 years. Congratulations. And Actually, married? 26. And married how long? Married, I can't ever remember. Oh. Um, we're very unsentimental. And I know we got married in California when it was legal before it became illegal and then it's legal again but Wonderful. um we he actually i don't know if you know that podcast the moth yes it's like a story yeah he um simon did a really funny moth story about our wedding that you or your listeners can look up and it was sort of a just about how unsentimental and borderline feral simon and i both are <laughs> and how uh, i think it's called every expense was spared how our wedding was just like 
kind of we both were looking at our at our uh, calendars one day and said, "Oh, hey, I need to be in California on whatever day it was," and so did he. And we're like, "Oh, I guess we should probably get married while we're there," and so Aww. we just did. Oh, yeah. Well, congratulations. And when you say not sentimental, when you just described him, I thought it was very sentimental and very beautiful. No, but he's right here. He can hear every single word I'm saying. <laughs> like after this, um, give me a call and I'll tell you the real story. <laughs> so not only are you very creative, you're very smart. <laughs> I think so. You but know again, what to say and when to say it. <laughs> Yeah, my yeah, exactly. <laughs> the annoying thing also about Simon is that he's always smarter and his books are testament to that. Oh, Girl. bravo, bravo, keep it up. No, keep it's it up. annoying, it's annoying, it's annoying. I don't like it. Listen, I've been married 44 years and been with my husband 40, almost 48 years. That's amazing. How did you meet? We met through his sister. His sister and I were friends. It's been a long relationship and it's been happy. He's a wonderful man. I love him dearly. And I can honestly say I I wake up every morning, go to bed every night, knowing I'm loved by that man, which I think oh, is a well, true Mazel tov. That's great. <laughs> okay. So back. To, let's make this more all about you again. Tell everyone oh, yes. about the aesthetic and the ethos of your Jonathan Adler brand. Sure. As you've heard, I started out making pottery, yeah. but then I soon, not soon, but eventually I realized that the pottery I was making, it looked a certain way, but there was also sort of a message to it. I thought to myself, all right, I'm making these pots. They look cool, but what am I really saying with them? And I said, Simon and I were like having a walk and he said, what, what are you trying to say? And I said, well, I like my work to be modern. You know, I always want it to be new and fresh and different. I'm trying to sort of push the envelope so it's modern. And I said, I have there's a spirit of optimism in my work. And I think that's a very American quality. So I think it's very grounded in American design. And so modern American. And then I said, the real thing that I hope to accomplish with everything I make is to make things that are memorable and have a bit of swagger. And I think memorable and swagger, memorable plus swagger equals glamour. So I thought, that's really what I'm doing here. I'm making I'm making pots, but the message of them is modern American glamour. That and it? that kind of three-word brand or spirit, sensibility or aesthetic really became a tentpole for me to make all of my... It was sort of a tentpole that uh, grounded my entire collection. So now anything I make, whether it's a sofa or a chair or a lamp or a rug or a towel, whatever, I make it all. Whatever it is, though, I think you can, I hope that you will see a spirit of modern American glamour mm -hmm. in anything and everything I make. Well, I believe that you do. I will tell you that. I loved looking through the catalog last night because I love that you have a name for each design section, like furniture, decor. And so I was looking at the tables last night, and I love how you name your lighting, your lamps. And so everything, not only just the pieces themselves, but when you divide in each section of the home. Yeah, I'm a very analytical person, and I think kind of verbal. And so yes. I'm always thinking nonstop about how to sort of organize things. Yes. Like, what's the taxonomy of what I'm doing? What am I trying to say? Like. I seem like a sort of a upbeat and uh -huh. sort of carefree person, 
But the truth is I'm very brooding and analytical and I'm always, always, always thinking and trying to communicate clearly. Like my whole mission is to be very, very clear in my uh -huh. communication. I feel like that's sort of the contract of a designer and uh -huh. his audience. And uh -huh. so I do spend a lot of time kind of thinking about what I'm making, what it looks like, what it means, what it should be called. It's like, you know, I have a somewhat, I don't want to say a tortured brain, but I have a very sort of nonstop brain that's just like uh, yeah. worrying and trying to make sense of the world. And I would call you very I, philosophical. Is that, is that correct? I, 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 I would, I would like to think that that's the case, although it might be a bit too highfalutin, but, but a fun you know, I philosophical just, mind when it comes <laughs> to describing your creatives product. Yeah. I, tr I try to make sense of the world. That's sort of my, my nonstop quest. And when I'm not, uh, thinking about my work, I'm like trying to make sense of the contemporary culture. Like I want to be able to turn my brain off a little bit. I struggle to do that. So yeah, I'm always, I'm always, uh, trying to make sense of what I'm saying, make sense of my world, try to like put the puzzle together. And that's very much how I see it. And my challenge is finding ways to just kind of turn my little brainlet off and vegetate. So exercise is probably my best shot at that. But other than that, when I'm not exercising, I'm like in a little whirling dervish of brain activity. You know what? You, you just now reminded me a lot of my husband because his brain is, he's always thinking and he's always creating and He's just always busy with that brilliant mind working. So for him to be able to turn it off, exercise, of course, tennis is, is a big outlet for him. But he loves to watch old black and white Western movies. Oh, wow. Isn't that fun? That's, that is kicking it old school. Then if he's not doing that, it'll be either something like that, really old detective movies. Oh, nice. Yeah. I'm a big fan of television. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I think it's a good... You know, I know it's supposed to be sort of like junk food for the mind, but sometimes you need it. And um, yeah, yeah, big fan. You're, yeah, you're too, the both of you are very much alike in that sense. Who or what has been your greatest professional influence? I think uh, I sort of have a holy trinity of design influences who are all mid-century designers. Uh they're Bonnie Cashin, uh -huh. Alexander Gerard, and uh -huh. David Hicks. And Bonnie Cashin was an American uh, fashion designer from the mid-century whose work was very, very optimistic and colorful and inventive and prolific. Alexander Gerard, ditto. Uh, creative, prolific AF. I'm so jealous of how prolific he was oh. um, and optimistic. And then David Hicks was a British interior designer who had a singular style that was very, very graphic, eclectic, but, but signature. And I think what those three have in common is that they were, again, very prolific, which is important to me. They all embraced color they all had design styles that were absolutely identifiable and new and fresh and inventive. And they were all very kind of optimistic in their, in their the way they put it all together. So, you know, if I were able to, to 
join that pantheon, then that would be an epic win. And that's what I'm trying to do. We'll see. Stay tuned. Uh-huh. Oh, I love that. I believe that that's what most people will say about you. I believe that when, because you are, I'm sure, an influence to so many, that's exactly how they will describe you. Oh, I hope so. That would be a <laughs> real triumph. You know, that yeah. would be, those three designers have really amazing legacies. I love that. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street, essential television. Now, Jonathan, I read that you have a goal in life, and that goal is to have a drink named after you. Is that right? <laughs> you know what? I guess so. I my, I say things that are contradictory and um, false every day. So, <laughs> well, yeah, well, I would love to have a drink named after me. Think about you know, think about um, Arnold Palmer, great yes, golfer, but yes. even better drink. Yes, that's so true. Well, guess what? We do something on the podcast. On every podcast, we do two things. And one is we have a drink of the day. So I have created that drink for today's podcast, and I have named it the Jonathan Adler. (laughs) Oh, finally. Thank you. So we have the Jonathan Adler. And so for all of our listeners, they will be able to go on. I've got a secret with RobinMcGraw.com, and they're going to get to see the not only see the drink prepared, they're going to get to see the drink, the recipe of the drink. And of course, they're going to get to see that it's called the Jonathan Adler. And it is an iced tea because I know that you mentioned the Arnold Palmer. Well, this is sort of like that. It is an iced tea with milk. Yes, that is my signature drink. And I know people feel, sometimes people are like, ugh, but it's actually more of a yum than a yuck, I promise you. I, um, you I've tried milk it and it is delicious. Tea, it's delicious. Why yes, not? It is delicious. Oh, there it is. I have to tell you, this is my going to be my, probably my new favorite drink, the Jonathan Adler. And nice. uh, for my listeners, my secret squad, I want them all to know that I'm holding the Jonathan Adler and I'm showing it to Jonathan. But I want all of you to know again that you can go to I've got a secret with robinmcgraw.com and you can see it, but it's so delicious. And it has eight ounces of iced tea and one to two ounces of milk. And so I have filled the glass with ice. I poured in the iced tea and then you just kind of drizzle the milk throughout. So it really makes it very beautiful. And it's optional if you want to garnish with a sprig of fresh mint like I have to add a pop of color. And then, of course, I have it in a clear glass so you can see all how pretty in a clear straw. So I think that is a brilliant Jonathan Adler you've got there. Oh, I do, too. So cheers to you. Let's make it happen. 
I wish we were together. That would be such a win. Yes. So I'm going to make this happen. All right. Thank you. Thank you for your service. You're so welcome. So back to the questions. What do you feel is the most unique piece you've designed thus far? And tell us the story behind it. Um, that's a great question. It's a tough call for me because as I said, I've made many things, but yes. I usually, usually my favorite thing is whatever I've designed most recently. And I'll tell you a story. I, I know I have this, uh, sofa called the ether cloud settee and it's sort of this very elegant, uh, sort of small sofa that's really shaped like a cloud. And it does have an interesting origin story. I was out paddleboarding one day. Uh, I'm at my house on Shelter Island, which is in the Hamptons, and it's sort of this rustic, beautiful place. And I'm very, very lucky to be on the sea. And I, I kind of have this dream life out here. Um, and I just often hop on my paddleboard and kind of go for like an hour or two at a time. And it's where I kind of turn off my mind and I just daydream. And I was out on my paddleboard and I looked up and there in the sky was like the most archetypal, gorgeous cloud I'd ever seen, like a real clouds cloud. Like every cloud should look at this cloud and feel like a failure for not living up to the essence of that cloud. And I thought, oh, I just want to sink into that cloud. And sort of at that moment, I was like, I got to make a sofa shaped like a cloud. And then <gasps> I did. And it <gasps> takes, a, you know, from, from, idea to reality takes a lot of steps and a lot of hard work and a long time but the end result is a really incredible little settee shaped like a cloud it feels like a cloud and it was a fitting homage to the majesty of that oh. cloud that day i love it i have to say i love that and i feel like i'm gonna have to buy one i don't have one i've seen it and i've, I've coveted it i love it just give me your give me your credit card and we'll send one right over. Thank I'm you. going to because I have a new <laughs> little granddaughter coming. I have two grandchildren, uh, but I have a new little granddaughter coming. And I feel like wouldn't that be wonderful to be able to just hold her, wrap her up, put her to sleep in my arms, and then just lay her in the middle of that cloud? Ah, uh, that's a great image. You must. Ooh. Sounds and Mazatov, when is she due? She's due on Valentine's Day, February the 14th. Oh, nice. That's also um, the day we got our rescue mutt, Foxy Lady. Oh, no way. Yeah, oh. so Valentine's Day means a lot. And her name is Foxy Lady? Yep. Foxy I love that Lady. name. I love that name. Do you yes. know, Philip and I just got two rescue pups. Oh, two at a time. They're just so precious. They're both Snow White. They're brothers. Oh. And they're named... That, well, one has two really bright blue eyes, and his brother has a blue eye and a brown eye. So Philip got to name one, and I got to name one. So he named and the little white one with the two blue eyes. He named him Blue. <laughs> nice. Classic. Yes. And then I named the other one with the blue eye and the brown eye. And uh, I first have to say he's very, very smart because when we first got them, they were in a little cage, and he walked out and went straight to the potty pad and pottied on it. I was like, oh, wow. he's so smart. So What a genius. Yes, he's very smart. So because of his one eye blue and one eye brown and being so smart, I named him Einstein. Ah, <laughs> uh, I love it. That's so, so it's great. Einstein and Blue and their rescue pups uh, as well. Uh, so 
We have that in common. I think that everyone should rescue pups. Oh my God. It's like all I care about in life. Oh. Everything I, is all for Foxy Lady. I'm like, I'm unnaturally obsessed with her. I love that. Foxy Lady on yeah. Valentine's Day. Oh. Yeah. We did something with Foxy Lady that I think is rather brilliant, which is we decided that she would only be either two or one, two years old or one year old. <laughs> so every year she switches. So right now she's two, oh, how cute. but in February she'll be one. It's so, and as a result, we've actually lost track of how old uh, she really is. So I truly believe that she's either only two or one. Oh, so, so she'll be forever young. And it's actually really fun telling when kids tell, say to you, say to me like, oh, how old's your dog? And we'll be like, oh, she's two, but she'll be one in February. Um, it really makes their heads explode, which is always um, fun. It's like really like a real brain oh, tingler. I love that. She'll be forever yeah. young. I love that. Yeah. I don't know if I mentioned this in this podcast, but we have two sons and then I have the two grandchildren and one on the way, but uh, I'll be the first to say your your pets are like your children. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yes. Well, Foxy certainly is to us. We oh, love her. That's Well, congratulations. Okay, so let me ask you this. Is there a type of product that you most love to design? Well, as I said, I make every single thing one needs for the home at this point, from furniture, lighting, rugs, towels, dishes. But ultimately, I am a potter. Like first yeah. and foremost, I am a potter. So my favorite type of product is to make a pot. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty old school, like slash prehistoric, but you know, throw me behind a potter's wheel and yeah. I'm content. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. So how has your design technique evolved over the years? Uh, it's been an interesting evolution because I went from being somebody who made everything himself to somebody who had to learn to design and delegate and just focus on prototypes. And I'm really good at delegation, like really good, like it's a calling. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> somehow or other, as I mentioned, I, I, you know, had a nice kind of solid upper middle class background and thought that when I became a potter, I was going to be giving up any chance of material success, but I made it happen. Yeah. So that is a true miracle. And I think a lot of that is due to my ability to delegate. I want to stop right here and tell the listeners about your new partnership, your new collaboration that you just announced yesterday. Oh, yes, with Keurig, the iconic coffee maker. Yes. Um, I, I'm so honored to be the first <laughs> designer to collaborate with Keurig <gasps> to create a, a custom-designed coffee mini coffee maker um that's super chic it's like a blue and white kind of preppy but clean modern pattern applied to their legendary technology and their delicious coffee so now uh, my morning coffee ritual is even more personal and anyone can get one of those curates either at target which is pretty easy or my yes. website um, whichever but they're really great and that's been a treat can I just say congratulations? That's huge. Right? It is huge. Yeah, it's cool. I know. I'm thrilled. I love totally it. Totally thrilled. I love coffee. Good. And I love, I love really awesome, fun coffee experiences. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, my heavens. I said, 
he is just blessed because that is, and so are they. They are so blessed to have you. They're brilliant. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what's funny? After designing a sort of pattern for this appliance, it now makes me realize anytime I see an appliance without a pattern, I just feel like I feel like it's scandalous. Like I'm looking at somebody with no pants on, like they're <laughs> nude. Yeah. And I just think it's time to put clothes on all our appliances via pattern. I love that. So now that we're talking about just the, this brilliance of your collaboration with Keurig, tell the listeners about how many books have you written? I have written, I think, four books. Wow, I thought it was five. Um, and so. I, maybe it was five. I honestly <laughs> can't remember anymore. Uh, I love them all. Five. I don't know. And I, um, I uh, need to do another one. Books are just such a nuisance. They're, they take so much time and energy. Uh, and again, my annoying husband, who's not in the room anymore, he just like... <laughs> He's written like, I don't even know how many books and he just like cranks them out and they're all brilliant. And during lockdown, while I've been focused on sort of just being kind of a housekeeper, he keeps writing book after book and I can't stand him. They're all so good. Yeah. He sounds like my husband. My husband can sit down and decide to write a book. And of course, I think he's just, I don't know how his brain holds all of that information, but yeah, he can sit down and start writing a book and just it pours out of him. Uh, it's so annoying. My so my mom says of my my late father, who was really fantastic and very, very witty and smart. And he was actually a talented artist in his own right, but he was a lawyer to pay the bills. Uh, and so anyway, he was a really, really solid mensch, which is a Yiddish word for like a real sort of solid stand-up guy. And my mother always says, uh, it was not easy being married to the nicest man on earth. You know, and I feel like that. It's not easy being married to sort of the wittiest, most prolific and talented man on earth. It's very, very, very annoying. Oh, I have a feeling he probably says the same thing about you. (laughs) Yeah, no, actually not so much. (laughs) Well, I'm going to call him and tell him to start saying that. (laughs) Right? Um, You know, Camille Paglia, the uh, cultural philosopher, she said that in every relationship, there should always be one God and one priest in polyester. Um, And so I think during this podcast, I'm pretending he's the God and I'm the priest, but you know, it switches. Yes, I think it does switch. I'm going to tell you, I believe it switches. Okay, well, let me ask you this. Do you... Uh, ever feel uninspired or in a design rut? And if so, how do you move past those moments? I don't feel uninspired or in a design rut ever. I I feel, if anything, I feel like restless and uh, feel like there's not enough time to make all the stuff I want to make. Oh, I love that answer. I love that answer. However, if I were to find myself in a design rut, I think what I would do is... uh, paddleboard or swim, just do something that's completely distracting and enables me to daydream. Like, I think daydream is the key to inspiration. You know, that's sort of when one's, um, like, sort of muse often chooses to strike. Wonderful. Wonderful. I sometimes wonder why I am constantly... uh, it's not that I'm not satisfied with how my 
a certain room looks or or what I've done in a room. It's that I'm just so happy with what I've done. I will walk into the room, whatever room it is in my home, and I'll go, hmm, I wonder what I should do there. I wonder if I should move that. I wonder because I just I it, it brings me great joy and peace and comfort to be constantly looking through the room and thinking, I wonder if I should move or, you know, do something. It it's yeah, not that I'm there's... unsettled or unsatisfied. I'm so satisfied that my I just love looking at everything. Philip will ask me sometimes when when I've been home all day, he'll say, did you walk through the house and touch all your things? <laughs> because right. he knows that brings I mean, me great comfort. I know. Well, because I think, you know, even though something looks good, there's probably always a better way. <laughs> that's right. So tell me as the brilliant designer, that's a that's a normal thing, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. You're doing uh, you're you are doing the right thing and that okay. you should always be on a quest to make things better. Okay, That's just good. a sign that you're like uh, trying to maximize your life. Great. Great. Okay, good. I, I feel so much better now. Okay. So what yes. is currently making you feel inspired or excited? Honestly, being at my house on Shelter Island during lockdown, while obviously this has been a ghastly time for everyone and for our nation. Yes. Um, you know, I feel very, very lucky to have managed to stay safe and sane and solvent, thank yes, God, yes. which is more than many people can yes, say. Totally um, agree. But one of the things that's been luckiest for me is I've never really had a chance as an adult to live in the country. Uh-huh. You know, I come here on weekends, but being out here all like for six months solid has sort of been like a little bit like being in uh the movie Blue Lagoon. Mm-hmm. Like I said, when people say, what's your lockdown been like? I say, well, we're very, we're always like biking and swimming and paddleboarding. So it's sort of like a tampon commercial. <laughs> and then um, we're trapped in nature like Blue Lagoon. Yes. And then Simon and I are kind of just like, you know, like a couple of just feral bros. So we're like Beavis and Butthead. So oh. it's like a tampon commercial meets Blue Lagoon meets Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> But it's also been an incredible inspirational time for Uh me. I have really had a chance to live in nature and kind of be inspired by nature. And um, so that's sort of, you know, been an incredible treat for me. Uh, So even as the, the world is going through some really troubling and chaotic times, um, I am lucky to be in a beautiful place. Oh, I just think that's wonderful. So here's the last thing we do for every podcast. We play a game. Okay. How do you feel about games? I feel excellent. Okay. Okay. So this game is called What's on Your Mind? And right. I'm going to ask a series of quick questions, and we're both going to answer them with the first thing that comes to our mind. So this is supposed right. to be designed I'm going to try and keep it. Creative. I'll try and keep it PG-13. Oh, don't do that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, and in one word, what does your home say about you? Personal. Mm, good for you. My home would probably say haven. Yeah. That's nice. The word. That's the word. Okay. That's, like, that's a good thing for it to be. Okay. Who are your personal... Oh, no, this is not a one-word answer. That was just for the first one. Who are your Uh personal style icons? Ah, style icons. I would say Paul Smith, um, John Paul Belmondo, 
and David Hockney. Oh, very. Oh, David Hockney. Oh, yes, that's very good. Okay, my style icons. Mm -hmm. Gosh, I've kind of gone blank. Okay, I'm going to say Julianne Moore. Nice. Diane Kruger. Love her. Mm -hmm. And I've got to say mm -hmm. Catherine Middleton. That's just... Ah, nice. Love her. That's a good trio. I like it. Okay, good, good. Okay, what is your guilty pleasure? Guilty pleasure is apple pie. Oh, my. All I do is eat apple pie, apple pie. I'm like a hamster in a wheel. I eat an apple pie, and then I jump on the treadmill, and then I eat oh. an apple pie, and I go for a run. It's just apple pie all the time. Oh, I love that. And I, make, I might have to make you an apple pie because I have my mother's recipe. Oh, please. All right, it's on. Let's okay. do it. Okay, my guilty pleasure would be tequila. Yep. Ah, That's my guilty nice. pleasure. You sound like a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's tequila. <laughs> okay, what trait do you admire most in others? Um, I admire... Uh, whatever the opposite of procrastination is. So diligence. Good, good. I totally agree I'm gonna, with that. I'm gonna th so I'm gonna look up the opposite of procrastination and see what that is. Okay. Mine, well, you tell me your mine would be a sense of humor. Oh yeah, that's a must. That is such a must. I mean, it's like lighten up, people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what I always want to say. Yeah. Lighten up. Yeah, I guess oh and the antonym of Procrastination is diligence or industry. Great. Yeah. I so totally get it. Or diligence. I totally get it. I love that answer. Do you have mm -hmm. a hidden talent? Um, nah, neither hidden nor not hidden. Isn't that funny? I am what I am. Okay, so I've been asked this question before, and I tend to give this answer. I can't sing or dance. My youngest son is a musician, amazingly talented. Philip and I, neither one know where he got it. But if I have to give a hidden talent, actually, I'm very good with a handgun. I trained. I took lessons to learn how to shoot a handgun and did the training. And then when I tested at the end of it, I tested at the level of an FBI marksman. Whoa. Yes. Yes, I'm very That's good. good. Yes. I want you in my corner. That's fantastic. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so what is your dream project or collaboration? Uh, I would love to design a car. Oh, that would be amazing. Yes, I bet you would. You right? Would, wouldn't you love yes. that? You should do that. Would, yep. Oh, wow. Okay, so my dream <clears throat> project would probably be to create a clothing line. Ah, yeah, nice. Yeah. Okay, so, and then Just now, be careful of inventory. Inventory, yeah, inventory, inventory. I probably will never dead. do it, but that would be, Don't. I would love to design. Too Maybe much just work. one piece of clothing or something. Okay. So how do you relax? Uh, watching TV, paddleboarding, swimming, all the aforementioned treats. Yes. I relax with my husband watching, binge watching a series of some sort. Yeah. We love to just get started and binge watch for the weekend or the whole night. Right now, Simon and I are binge watching The Bureau, the French uh, mm. spy series on Amazon. I recommend wow. it. Oh, we will try that one. I, I would tell you right mm -hmm. now, we're binge watching one that we <laughs> we can't believe we can't look away. Tyler Perry's The Haves and The Have-Nots. <laughs> oh, Okay. Good Somebody to told us to watch it, and we are, and we're like, oh, my gosh. We'll end up watching it for five or six hours. Okay. What are you most proud of? 
I am most proud of having built my business that I that enables me to make what I want to make. I'm really proud of of what I've accomplished in my career. Wonderful. Okay, and this is the last question. What is your life's motto? Uh <laughs> My life's motto is I think have swagger and be memorable. Oh, I love that. Again, which as I said before, swagger and memorable equals glamour. So you do the math. Oh, Live a life. I love that. Well, I guess my life motto would be, I truly believe and have from a very, very young age that I was put on this earth to be a wife and mother and now grandmother. And wow. everything else is second to that. And uh, that is fantastic. You made it happen. I made it happen. And I'm, That's I'm living my dream. Good. That's <laughs> as it should be. That's fantastic. Oh, thank you. Well, Jonathan, you've made my entire day, week, and month by just spending this time with me. I want to thank you so much for your time and, and for this conversation that we've had. Oh, thank you. It's been a true treat. You are a delight. Oh. Um, and post, post-pandemic, we'll do it IRL. I totally look forward to that. Thank you so much. And this has been such a pleasure, Jonathan. We need to meet, of course, I agree, in person next time. Tell all of the listeners where to find you online and where to purchase your new collaboration with Keurig. Uh, Yes, you can find me online at www.jonathanadler.com or on Instagram and such at Jonathan Adler. And you can get my Keurig collaboration at your nearest Target. Yeah. Uh, or you can go to my website, but, you know, Target. Yeah. I love, I love um, it. And again, thank you so much for having me. It's been a true treat. Um, and I will see you next time. Okay. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. Because bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Secret Squad, you must check out Jonathan's designs. You will be so inspired. Visit I've Got a Secret with RobinMcGraw.com for recipes, behind-the-scenes photos, and my favorite Jonathan Adler pieces I have in the studio. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.